totally at the World Cup. We are finished. Yes? Let's be done. Unbelievable. Unbelievable this. France are world champions. World Cup trophy ends up across the channel, faster than a viewer hearing Kians doing commentary. For Croatia, worse afternoon for a team in checkers since May's Brexit white paper. Now he cannot stop. We salute both finalists and a remarkable end to what's been a remarkable tournament. Plus, we have a word for FIFA's big game of contractual obligation, Saturday's third fourth playoff, in which Belgium beat England 2-0. All that and more coming up in our final totally at the World Cup. That's right, we're having a World Cup final party here at Totally. We've got Sasha Gurionov here. Bonjour. James Horncastle's Hello. here. Hello. Tom Williams, you're here. Hello. And so is Matt Davis. Howdy. And now to announce the biggest name of all, you listener. You, the most important person. As we look back on this, uh, we'll just turn that down if you could, Tom. Thanks. Yeah, uh, as we look back on this extraordinary, extraordinary uh, finale to the tournament, France, you probably saw, what was the final score, Tom? 4-2. Uh, 4-2 four two. Four two, uh, four two winners and becoming world champions for only the second time in their history. Tom, worthy winners for you? Yes, I think France have been the best team overall at the tournament and uh, they weren't great uh, in the final. Uh, Croatia were very unfortunate to fall behind twice. Um, but then once France kicked on, I think they looked pretty convincing by the end. James, I noticed from Twitter, you've already placed your bet for France to be knocked out of the group stages at Qatar 2022. <laughs> I could not resist, Jimbo. Yeah. All right. But this is a very exciting team, surely. And it's so young. Oh, absolutely. Was it the second youngest team at the competition? Um, and uh, so many um, top performers, I think, over the course of the tournament. It's actually quite difficult to pick. Um, who was France's best player, I would say. Um, controversial. I don't think it's that controversial. I would go not with Mbappe, not with Paul Pogba. I'd probably say Rafa Varane. All right. Yeah. Um, nice. And uh, would have a, a very good shot, maybe not winning the Ballon d'Or, but certainly been in the, in the top 10 as maybe the best defender because not only a World Cup winner, Jimbo, but Champions League winner with his club as well. Heck Quite of a season double. he's had. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and heck of a tournament it's been, Sasha. A wonderful competition. Whether it was Russia it took place in or, or, or FIFA land, it's just been fabulous. And the, fi the final was actually almost like a kind of a distillation. It was the, the whole tournament in microcosm. Apart from France, I suppose, because I think France were more miserly throughout the tournament. But mm. perhaps you could, you could argue some sort of replay of the uh, Argentina game. But I think we also saw... Uh, Another great performance by Croatia. I mean, they knocked Kanti out of the game and arguably perhaps the best move that um, the shop made all night was bringing on Zonzi uh, when Kanti was visibly rattled and that sort of steadied up the French team and they hit them twice. Uh, unfortunately, I think Shubasic was clearly unfit today for Croatia. Another unfortunate, of course, is the fact they didn't really have a decent backup goalkeeper. Um, so I think Croatia 
you know, three extra times. Um, those wins on penalties, great effort tonight. Um, and I thought this last 20, 25 minutes, the legs just went. They could have brought on Nikola Kalinic. Well, it's an interesting point you yeah. make. Uh, many listeners writing in mm-hmm. saying, you know, what could could have been had they had own not so much difference it would have made but a, a crazy match as I say reflected the tournament at times magnificent at times frustrating at, at times farcical uh, should we have a, a little look back on how it played out because whilst France did emerge heavy winners for a long time it looked very much in the in the balance it took an own goal off Mario Mandzukic's head to put France in the lead uh, prompting scenes like these à Paris <laughs> A little bit against the run of play, Tom. Completely against the run of play. Um, I thought France started really poorly. Um, Sasha's already mentioned how, how, how badly N'Golo Conte did, and I thought he was symbolic, really, of their struggles in, in the first sort of 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes and, and beyond. Um, Croatia really aggressive, really purposeful, uh, getting the ball to Perisic and Rebic in the wide areas, causing France problems. And then Antoine Griezmann wins a slightly soft free kick that he takes himself. Mandzukic uh, gets the touch on it that, that takes it in for a goal and then to their credit Croatia came back and I think they equalised what about 10 minutes later lovely hit from from Perisic but mm. then Perisic gets on the end of this very debatable penalty decision um, and that enables uh, France to get in the lead again Absolutely the VAR decision the VAR, VAR had been so quiet through the knockout stages Matt what did you make of this the referee is the person who gets the stick rather than rather than VAR per se, I think. Mm. Um, Nesta Pitana, the extraordinary scene where he'd finished watching the replay on the screen, it appeared, and then he just ran back just for one final little check. Um, it's interpretation, isn't it? it? It certainly didn't look like a deliberate handball to me, but you just got the impression, because we haven't seen very much VAR in the knockout stages, or certainly from the quarterfinal onwards, that, that once he'd gone to the screen, he was always going to give the penalty uh, in France's favour and yeah just not the correct decision I don't think and, and a strange uh, disappointing for FIFA I, w- I wonder what FIFA will, will make of that because I think they would have been ready to say well we tried VAR in the World Cup and it was a success I think uh, they're committed to it anyway I don't yeah, think they'll go back well yeah but it, w- it, it would be it would be better for them if that hadn't happened in today's final mm-hmm. so they, there wasn't an obvious example of of, um, of it maybe being misinterpreted or misused because the consensus certainly with us and I think broadly was that it was the wrong decision personally I don't care if it was wrong or right I just don't want to see that happen in the in the World Cup final I think what we have here now is a narrative on the Croatian side of being hard done by again because I get the impression after the 98 semi-final they thought they were never really meant to win but one thing that Croatia does really well in football is get revenge Battle of Old Trafford in 96 against Germany they lose 2-1 really carry it with them to 98 and beat Germany 2012 slightly unluckily they get knocked out by uh, Spain they take it to 2016. They beat them on the final group stage uh, match 2-1 with having changed half the team against the first uh, team Spain. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the next tournament or two, Croatia come up against France and they batter them. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. OK, after that, it was Croatia who started getting battered and a lot of question marks over whether Subasic, James Galbraith asking, could he have been any less obviously fit in the biggest game of his country's history? Such a shame. France began to just shoot on side at him. And uh, to some extent, there was some regret that England um, did not do that um, in the semi-final um, because it was really clear from that uh, trippier free kick um, that he wasn't um, willing to push off, I think, on one leg. 
And uh, yeah, they were just absolutely merciless um, in taking uh, advantage. It's ironic because they're French. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, that uh, Pogba-Mbappe combination for, uh, for what Pogba's goal um, was just was just brilliant. Um, oh. you know, on, I think on the subject of uh, Paul Pogba, Canary Mark among many people saying Pogba was amazing the whole tournament. And he makes, again, the same connection a lot of people are doing with Jose Mourinho and the fact that Pogba hasn't performed that way for Man United. And so does Mourinho take, have to take a, a look at the way he's handling it? Well, well, Tom and I were laughing whilst we were watching this because, you know, all year there's been this debate that uh, Pogba just wants to play on the left of a midfield three. He's played on the right of a midfield two in this in this tournament and looked, uh, looked very good. And I think... Um, a lot of people were saying that's because he had Kante mm. um, beside him, even though, as Sasha said, that uh, France improved when, when Kante went off. Um, but um, I think it was a pretty complete um, tournament from, from Popper. You know, uh, the criticism he gets in this country is lack of discipline without the ball. And instead, um, when he needed to be there for France um, defensively, mm. he was there. Um, I thought he was magnificent in the game against Argentina as well. Um, not only um, releasing Mbappe on the counter-attack, but running with the ball himself. Um, so, yeah, I think he's had a, a great tournament. Let's let's see if he can do the same for United next All right. season. Meantime, the, the the new, the nascent supernova of the footballing firmament, if you will, Kylian Mbappe, uh, Tom, getting the, the fourth goal for France. I know you were really excited about Hernandez's run building yes. up to this. Yeah, lovely run from Hernandez. He, he picks the ball up just inside the Croatia half and he's got a defender right behind him um, and does really well to turn, drives down the flank and then squares it to Mbappe. And it, I, I didn't think Mbappe had a fantastic game today. I thought the first off in particular he looked quite nervous. Mm. The first sort of five, ten minutes he, he couldn't even seem to control the ball. But then as, as France got on top he grew into it more and more, particularly with his pace giving them an outlet. Obviously it was his run down the right that um, that got them forward for, for the Pogba goal. And then yeah, he, he collects the pass from Hernandez um, and you know, a bit of disguise on the shot. Looks like he's gonna he's opening himself up to curl it to the goalkeeper's left, puts it the other way. Uh, but as you've said, Subasic uh, didn't cover himself in glory in his attempt to save it. And and yeah, I mean, no dispute about Mbappe winning the the, the silver ball. That Argentina game was a, a real uh, coming-of-age moment and, and probably the most exciting individual performance of the tournament. Mbappe receiving that award in the, in the rain uh, at the Luzhniki as it, as it began to absolutely team down. And, and remarkable scenes as, as everybody stood there drenched apart from... Vladimir Putin. Uh, yeah, the, the the poor president of Croatia, soaked to the bone, was uh, was umbrellaless for the majority of the uh, of the ceremony. Gianni Infantino, uh, rocking the drowned rat look as well. But yeah, Vladimir stayed relatively dry. Right. Perhaps nobody wanted to go near Russians with umbrellas. I, I don't know. That, that might have been <laughs> the issue. But it was a, it was a strange ceremony. The, the when it eventually happened. Yeah, it took an eternity to get going. Um, it was very odd, as you say. And then when we we finally get the the, the money shot that we've been waiting for all tournament of Hugo Lloris lifting the trophy uh, some chaps are in the way of the camera and we don't really get to see it at all so you know perhaps we restart the World Cup and and, and hope we get a better better trophy lift yeah maybe well, so to be fair to the Russians that was probably the most shambolic part of the whole tournament which I think as a whole ran really really well that's fair Sasha sorry <laughs> Um, <laughs> also, you're here for the <laughs> also giving the golden ball to Modric was a really ace move. I, th I think, um, yeah, he's had, he's had given everything that's happened to him before the tournament, given that he's potentially getting done for perjury. Although Croatian president uh, seems to be close to Mamic as well as she, she was to Modric. Um, 
But to be able to sort of carry that pressure on you uh, into this tournament and to play so remarkably well, you have to bear in mind, though, he wasn't on his own in that midfield. Uh, I think uh, with sort of Brozovic, Rakitic and Modric there in the middle, I think they had pretty good balance. But also um, Rebic and Peresic, I thought, did very, very well on the wings. And what I really did, uh, and the manager as well for me, uh, because I think um, against England, there was a slight tweak after half time uh, where basically Perisic and Rebic switched flanks. Rebic went uh, about 10 yards forward behind Trippier next to Walker, roughed up Walker a little bit, destabilized that England back line, and then Perisic switched flanks again and he scores the goal. And today in the match at 1 0, um, I suddenly saw Rebic. Um, helping out Strinch at left-back. And I thought, ah, they switch flanks again. And what do you know? The long ball goes forward and Perisic actually comes from the wing where he isn't really supposed to be, wins the free kick, and then eventually leads to the equaliser. So I think overall the balance in that midfield was absolutely impressive. There was one more goal, of course, for, for the Croatians, which briefly suggested they might come back into it. <laughs> M- Mandzukic. Uh, that was a curious thing. That was Loris attempting to dribble past him. Yeah, Loris otherwise had a... Fantastic tournament. Um, didn't get the Golden Glove Award uh, in the end, which went to Thibaut Courtois. Um, but um, yeah, this was, I suppose, a little bit reminiscent of uh, of Carrius uh, in the Champions League final, though not with the the same cost. Um, and again, a reminder that yeah, Loris does this have this in him, as we saw in qualifying when you know they they lost to Sweden in in Solna because of a mistake that he made. But um, I think ultimately that will be forgotten. I think the Main goalkeeping clangor, which will be remembered from this tournament, will remain Willy Caballero setting ah. up Ante Rebic so beautifully. <laughs> it's a pity for Loris, though, because he, as you said, I mean, he, he got a lot of stick in qualifying. And, you know, we know that he's not been in great form for, for Spurs or not been in top form for Spurs over the past couple of seasons. Uh, and he'd been brilliant for France. I, th- I thought he was in with a shout for, for the Golden Glove Award. And then, unfortunately, I mean, in the end, it, it didn't matter. But it, it's a, a shame for him to end the tournament on that note, having played so well up to that moment. Golden Gloves instead went to Thibaut Courtois, which is fair, yeah? Yeah. Nice. Uh, Good. Mario Mandzukic, by the way, first yes. player to score an own goal in the World Cup final, but the fifth player to score in both the World Cup and European Cup slash Champions League finals. How many own goals were there in the tournament 12. as a whole? 12. Were there 12? That feels huge. Yeah, he got the golden boot. Harry Kane's appealing. Right. But, um, yeah. <laughs> On his daughter's life. <laughs> yeah. So Harry Kane picked up the golden boot for three penalties, one off his heel, a couple two of corners, yeah. two tappings. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it does feel a little. I mean, well done to him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't feel entirely kind of Oleg Selenko, 1994. But, as, um, as somebody pointed out, it's pretty impressive, those six goals, given that he didn't play in the, in the playoff. <laughs> Yeah, the players. <laughs> well, we'll come on to England very, very shortly because, of course, they were involved in a big game on Saturday against Belgium. But some, some final thoughts then on France on Sunday's final. Charles Brockbank asks, um, question for the pod, has anyone ever won the World Cup before without their centre-forward scoring at all? It's true, Giroud without any goals, without any shots in this game. Well, France did it, didn't they, in, in 1998 with Givash. Ah. Yeah. I thought so that was your answer. question. <laughs> Well, maybe it was. These are, again, some of the historical parallels that the keeper were pointing out as to why France were going to win the World Cup. Because, what were the other ones? Well, because in 98, Israel won Eurovision like they did this year did they? Oh, as, okay. as well. Um, there was a German winner of the British Grand Prix, Schumacher then, Vettel, this year. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you were less impressed by this Real Madrid winning the Champions League, although when they won it then, it was the first time they'd won it yeah. in, in Donkey's years. So there you go. It was it was obviously written in the stars. Right. 
Roger Davis asking the question you posited before, how much could Croatia have done with Nikola Kalinic in this final? He was sent home, of course. I think after the first game, wasn't it? Mm. He refused to come on as a sub, yeah. uh, using an excuse used before, and basically the Croatian staff weren't impressed. Um, today, I mean, they tried to mix it up by bringing in Kramaric, but I don't really think Kramaric gave him anything. So maybe Kalinic, maybe Kalinic was at home celebrating that they failed. On the basis of his form for his club um, this season, I would say he wouldn't have been a big miss. Mm. The, the final being as it was, great, chaotic, terrific, just just rubber stamp that this has been a fantastic World Cup. It's been a, an insaning chaotic... Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I think it, it seemed does. like we needed a, a good final to maybe put it into that 82-70 bracket. Is it nearly there now? I don't think so. Why, I why not, was, Tom? Why I not? thought it was a hugely enjoyable World Cup uh-huh. and I had a great time watching it. I think to be a truly great World Cup, you need great teams with great players at the top of their game. And I don't think we had that. I think the only the only team out of all the favourites who turned up were France. And even though they won it, they weren't particularly exciting to watch. Um, we had some great shocks. We had some great storylines, some interesting, enjoyable matches. But I think quality-wise and drama-wise, I don't think... I it think drama-wise we did. I think I get your point about quality, but I think drama in terms of host nation going going much further. Um, I think Germany get going out in this farcical fashion against Korea. Spain sacking their manager. Yeah, just beforehand. Um, I, I think it's been enough drama. Also, also, and while I completely take your point, I was thinking much the same thing about France being the only big team that turned up. You have to define the big teams by what they actually do. So you know, maybe the big teams in this case, and you know, the, the best teams actually did turn up. Does that make sense? You know, I, th- I think it does, yeah. I mean, you know, Belgium and Croatia, I think in both cases we saw two sort of golden generations, to use a very overused term, sort of finally hit their, their level for the first time, which was exciting. Um, obviously, England had a very exciting, unexpected tournament. I mean, it was, it, it was a great World Cup. It was, it, was, it was huge fun. There were some great matches, some amazing storylines. Amazing goals as well. Some amazing goals. Yeah, I, I just don't think that quality-wise you can put it alongside the historic great World Cups. I mean, the other arguments make is how lopsided one yeah. side of the draw was. You know, and I think France deserved to win um, the tournament, not only because of how they performed in the final tonight, but because they've done it a harder way than, let's say, someone else on the other side. Mm. Um, you know, to be there with, um, you know, Brazil, Argentina, Belgium, all all of that lot yeah. come through. You know, that's that adds to their credentials as, as you know, champions. Yeah. And you might say that Saturday's third, fourth playoff underlined the relative strengths of the two halves with, uh, with Belgium beating England 2-0 and looking... It's probably fair to say a cut above. Well, we'll ask that question after this. Listeners, it's been a long old World Cup and as a special thank you for being with us throughout the last month of Totally Football shows, we've teamed up with our friends at Beer 52 again to offer you a free case of craft beer. Beer 52 is the world's most popular monthly craft beer discovery club. They search out incredible and exclusive small batch craft beers from the world's greatest breweries. Just head to beer52.com slash football and you can try your first case for free. All you have to pay is the £2.95 postage. So that's eight incredible craft beers plus Beer 52's magazine ferment and some bar snacks delivered to your door with next day shipping. There's no minimum commitment with Beer 52. If you decide after this free case that Beer 52's not for you, you can pause or cancel your membership at any time. So football may not have come home, but the beers will be with Beer 52. Head to beer52.com slash football to find out more. 
So Saturday afternoon saw Belgium meet England for the third, fourth playoff, which is a little bit like watching the teams in detention while the you know the other boys go off and en- enjoy an end of season trip or something. Matt, um, oh here's a fun fact for you: What do England, Panama, and Saudi Arabia have in common? They're the only teams to have lost three games at the tournament. Tom, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> So um, this was actually a really enjoyable game. Yes, yeah, very enjoyable. And as you said, I think a, a quite clear uh, difference in level between the two teams. I mean, obviously Belgium went ahead in the fourth minute um, and England struggled to make a game of it thereafter. But then it took Belgium until quite late in the game to score the second goal through Hazard. So there was a degree of suspense. I might, the highlight of the game for me was that fantastic Belgian passing move that culminated in Dries Mertens crossing for, for Thomas Mernier to hit a volley that, that Jordan Pickford saved. And at the time I thought, oh, that would have been a great goal if it had gone in. I got a text off my dad and he said, if that had gone in, it would have been one of the greatest goals ever scored. And I thought, OK, steady on, Dad. But I watched it again. And I think he's right. It was so this an absolutely is, sensational bit of football. This is England with pressure down at the other end, and Belgium win the ball back, but it's really far down the pitch. And they just do. And this is after a period of English pressure of about what sort of ten minutes? It feels almost as though England has been passing the ball around, creating half chances. And Belgium just basically go, "That's not a knife. This is a knife," and just show us how it should be done. <laughs> just a couple of back heels, one, two, and you're down the the field. And then, as you say, Munier with what would have been. I mean, almost better than than the certainly the Nachos or Pavards, or it would have been an incredible goal. Mm. And I mean, fantastic break down the pitch, as you say, a couple of back heels. I think there was one from Hazard, one from De Bruyne, maybe, and then quite a superfluous cross by Mertens. It wasn't the obvious pass to play. It was like he wanted to do something a bit showy. And Mernier meets it beautifully. And fair play to Pickford, he, he saves it. Absolutely yeah. brilliant save from from Jordan mm. Pickford. Um, uh, as you say, it was all wrapped up uh, about 10 minutes from time, I think, by Eden Hazard. One or two question marks over Phil Jones's performance there, as indeed there were over Danny Rose on the, on the opening goal. But, I mean, it's probably wrong to draw too many conclusions from a a game like this when patently, although the teams want to finish on a high note. From Sasha? an England perspective, oh, sorry, yeah. it's kind of a not not necessarily a bad thing to have lost that game because the as he has been all tournament, Gareth Southgate, very realistic after the match, mm. it, almost saying, Listen, this is a false position for England to be in. We're not one of the four best teams in in the world. Um, you know, had they had they beaten the golden generation of Belgium in that game, maybe the hype would have um, got even even more so than it has been. But it is a kind of look, we've had a great tournament. We did really well to get to the semi-finals, but Perhaps this is the exception rather than the rule. It's something we can work towards, but we are not as good as Belgium right. and as France and as Croatia. But what they are is is really fun to watch. Now, the Southgate, I think, was was making a suggestion. Certainly, a lot of commentators were that Belgium are effectively six years ahead of England in terms of bringing forward a, a great generation. But equally, England have, have made great strides within this tournament. What do you think has been the biggest improvement if you've seen one, Sasha, in this England side? I, th- I think it's. I think. <laughs> If you look at the last two years, uh, you can see that Southgate is starting from basics. Have a shape, do well on set pieces, and obviously there is the next thing now is, you know, trying to score goals from open play, to look more constructively going forward. Because I know there's been a lot of excitement in England about the way England played. Certainly hasn't been that much excitement in Russia, because they see, I think, an incomplete team, which is not that fun to watch. Because, I mean, if, if you look the way England got through, I mean, they battered a couple of poor teams. And I know this, this has been said before, you know, you can only beat what's in front of you. But the general play going forward hasn't really excited the Russians that much. Um, I also find it quite odd the way in England the third place match means absolutely nothing. 
Maybe because in England you get the winner's medal, you get the runners-up medal. There isn't really a concept of a bronze medal. Whereas, for example, on the continent, I mean, in, in say, in, in Russian or Soviet football, you always get the three sets of medals. Again, if you look at 98 for Croatia, that third-place win was actually really, really important. So, I mean, for me, it was a bit of a shame that, you know, it was a glorified friendly, the match for the third place, because England changed half the team, they changed the shape a little bit. I think, arguably, Belgium took it more seriously, but it wasn't a real contest. Tom, have you got a stat about third, fourth playoffs? The, the teams who finished third at the World Cup and then failed to qualify for the following European Championship. Right. Poland in 1982, France in 1986, Italy in 1990, Sweden in 1994, Croatia in 1998. So it's every Turkey World in Cup. 2002 and yeah. the Netherlands in 2014. So we, we skipped a couple, but that's amazing. Having said that, I mean, England finished fourth in the 1990 World Cup, had a terrible 92 and then completely missed out on 94. So who can say, but... Um, but Bel- you don't really get that feeling with the single team now. This, this, it yeah. feels like the single team is building towards something and it's just basically an incomplete side, so there will be an improvement. Do you feel that Belgium are going to be back? A lot of people are saying, well, this is their one big shot. But they've got I mean, what, an exciting is, he, is De Bruyne about to retire? Is Lukaku about to retire? No. Is Azar about to retire? No, they're not. I think, I think the, this team will be back. Yeah, certainly for the Euros. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and for the Nations League come September. <sighs> Yeah, that's right. That's the next big international action. I'm actually like perversely looking forward to it. I was looking at the fixtures today because it, it begins on 6th of September. Uh, Germany, France, which will be the meeting of the last two world champions. Uh, Wales, that same day, taking on Republic of Ireland. England will be up against Spain on the 8th of September. That's interesting, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, and, and renews uh, enthusiasm for international football in this country now. So. Hurrah. Hooray. Club football wasn't getting in the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. But that's the World Cup done. I mean, three and a half years without seeing Gianni Infantino sat between two dodgy despots. <laughs> is it three, three and a half, half years? <laughs> it's three and, oh, it's, is it four, four and, and a half? half? Four 20, and a half 2022. years. Yeah. 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 Wow. Can you imagine how much expectations would have built up by then for England? It's going to be insane. <laughs> All right. Uh, any final thoughts before we tidy up after ourselves, like the, the, the Japanese? We're going to talk about legacy? Yeah, yeah go on. Talk right. about legacy. So legacy for Russia, uh, threefold. Football. Right. So we'll see how much this World Cup changes the image of football in Russia. Do Russians get more interested? Do those people who went to the World Cup, do they go to the to West Russian Premier League matches? Maybe they do for half a year and then they lose the will to live. Maybe. Um, in terms of the white elephants, uh, in terms of stadiums, there's certainly questions already around uh, some of those grounds. Hopefully not Ekaterinburg. Uh, well, in Ekaterinburg, there's a question of when they're going to take down the temporary stands. But there is questions around Rostov because, uh-huh. for example, FC Rostov are going to have to pay uh, apparently 12 million ruble rent uh, per match, which is 150,000 uh, pounds, as opposed to the 400,000 rubles, which is 5k they paid before. And you know, for their budget, that's quite steep. Uh, again, uh, there is things around Kaliningrad. Perhaps Baltica might not want to use the new stadium because it's too expensive. And this takes me back to South Africa. Uh, I was in Cape Town a few months after the World Cup. And uh, I think what they tried to do there was Ajax, Cape Town and Santos uh, were going to put on double headers at the Greenpoint Stadium. And if I recall correctly, they gave up after about three sets of matches because it was too expensive. They weren't getting enough fans. The rent was too high. So there's questions about these stadiums being used um, in the provinces. Certainly not, not questions around the St. Petersburg, which is going to be used at the Euros or the Spartak Stadium or Luzhniki. Uh, but the viability of football uh, you know, below the top clubs, that problem hasn't gone away. I mean, if you look at the state of the Russian second division, a uh, vast majority of clubs are state-owned and the promotion relegation last season was a farce. The Portland Five teams were supposed to go down. They didn't because teams fell apart, teams moved and it was a complete mess. Sasha, is there not a lot of money in Russian football? You, you'd think there would be given the number of rich Russian owners in everybody else's football. Well, exactly. 
exactly. I mean, there is there is a handful of rich Russian owners in Rus- in, in Russian football. Um, perhaps you know the the best of those is the guy who owns FC Krasnodar Galitsky because for him it's properly his own club. But everything else is on state is, is on regional budgets. Um, and you know you need a few million euros a year to run a team in the second division. And you know this is coming out of your budget. No one's really interested, and it's really not. Um, not a very good environment. And now these clubs get these big shiny new grounds, but they somehow have to fill them, somehow have to pay for them. And I'm not sure it's actually, you know, it's, it's, I'm not sure the success story is quite there. Certainly right. Russians are quite sceptical at the moment. In, in terms of infrastructure, maybe not, but in terms of the image of Russia and Russians mm. in the world, it's been an unmitigated success. It has, but I think, um, unfortunately, in the run-up to the World Cup, uh, the discussion was lobotomized to a very low level basically because of all these stories about hooligans and and things that were blatantly not going to happen because they were not going to be allowed to happen. Is it possible that what happened at the Euros with clashes between Russian, this kind of almost mm-hmm. squadron of Russian fans that arrived quite organised, was that almost a preemptive strike to say, listen, this is what we can do, so don't even think about coming over and coming, uh, and causing any trouble? No, I don't think so, uh, because if you look, roll back two years, mm-hmm. what sort of image for Russian football was that? Worst team, worst fans, absolute disaster. Um, I mean, I don't think that's the way to um, send a message to potential troublemakers. I what mean, of course, facetious have probably comments. Probably were, though. Comments were made at the time uh, by some Russian politicians, but um, I, I do find that line a, a little bit stupid. Fanciful, you can call it I stupid, think. yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't agree with it at all. Um, and I, what, what I think it did highlight to the Russian authorities was the fact that perhaps when uh, they went a little bit, the, the guard was a little bit down. They thought they had the job done. The hooligans were reined in, and they weren't. Right. So of course they came out down on them like a ton of bricks afterwards. But what I found. Something we talked about before on the pod um, that, you know, a lot of criticism really should be coming at Putin and maybe Russian people kind of left out of it. But I think a lot of the narrative before the World Cup was about racism, xenophobia, homophobia. And I felt that that kind of threw quite a big shadow on actually the Russians themselves. Mm. So therefore, a lot of people didn't really fancy it because, I mean, they're horrible. Why, why should we go out there? Besides the hooligans, I think all, all these Russians in all their rubbish little cities, they're not really friendly to the foreigners. And I think... When people actually turn up there and they see, well, these people are delighted to see us here, then the narrative goes the other way. And therefore, you know, the, the press gets criticized. For me, uh, the main reason people didn't go is, of course, personal safety. Mm. I don't think your average England fan, no disrespect, really dives into the whole political situation somewhere like Russia, a country which I found, um, I, f- I found quite, quite a lack of curiosity about it since they got the World Cup. There was, of course, a lot of focus on, uh, you know, the, the process of how the Russians got the World Cup. And there was then focus on hooligans but the nitty-gritty maybe the the editors didn't really think it was worth their attention maybe it was much easier to go down the line of oh they're all horrible anyway back to my original point i felt then the discussion reached a really low level so then to dispel all this all these myths was quite easy and now the russians can turn around saying well everything you say about this is rubbish which of course is rubbish in itself mm. so it's it's a massive win for russians and say for putin now but i think they were almost they, it, was, it was almost made too easy for them to take nothing away from the world cup uh, and final point I'd like to make as well, infrastructure itself away from the football. Mm-hmm. A lot of this city has got new roads, new airports. I mean, even St. Petersburg had absolutely shambles of an airport until a few years ago. Um, so they've got all this infrastructure which people have noticed. Of course, it has, hasn't been done that well. I mean, somewhere like Samara, they've sort of painted a few facades in certain parts and put some fences, whereas the rest of it is falling down. But a lot of the city centres, they were, they were certainly spruced up. And a friend of mine from Volgograd uh, sort of left me a message talking very excitedly about what World Cup did for Volgograd. And one of the things that he mentioned is like, 
people saw how they could live. And maybe that makes them rethink, like, you know, not, not the whole existence, but maybe they can expect more, they will expect more now. And mm. that's in terms of amenities, in terms of how the city could look, in terms of being proud of the cities, because a lot of Russians in all these provincial towns, they are quite downbeat. Life's quite tough and the city looks a bit rubbish. Oh, how are these visitors going to find this, going to find this whole thing? Oh, these visitors really love it. They think it's so positive and great. Well, maybe we should, you know, our own view should change. And I think the most fundamentally important part of this has been that the foreign visitors saw the Russians and the Russians saw the foreign visitors. Uh, because, yeah, you know, I think... Quite often on Russian television, you don't get the most balanced picture. Certainly in, in the press over here, I don't think you were getting the most balanced picture either. And I think this is to kind of restore slightly your faith in humanity when people actually meet and interact on, on you know, a personal level. Mm. They actually find, you know, they got probably more common than the politicians do. The Russians love their children too, <laughs> Sasha. If you can change, then we can change. <laughs> Well, listeners, we, we don't want to go, but that kind of kind of brings us towards the end of our World Cup coverage, Tom. We've got a couple of questions here. We could, we could do those. <laughs> this one's from Ross. He says, how much fun have you had, Tom? How much fun have I personally had yeah, watching personally, the World Cup? Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it a strong nine. It's been a really, really? fun tournament, um, and I have really enjoyed watching basically all of it. Is and I'm really sad at the thought that it's now over, because right. it does just occupy your, your thinking. Well, and, yeah. um, you know... The, it determines how you plan your days for the best part of four weeks, and then it's suddenly over. Well, now we'll get a little bit of a break, and then all the club football will be back. Oh, no, I can't even think about club football. Well, it feels like a betrayal to the World I Cup. Bet, I bet Matt's already thinking about club football, because, of course, Chelsea are back, and big, big things happening there. Three, uh, three-fifths stat vita, which is not a reference I understand, asks, can we have a word on Sarri and Jorginho as well? Uh, uh, Sarri and Jorginho have just come into... To to um, Chelsea from from Napoli, James and uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, Sarri was not somebody who I was uh, particularly up on the history of until I read James's piece in the Independent, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it sounds like we're in for some some fun times next. What season was the thing that surprised piece. you most about that piece? Uh, just the fact that he came so late to the game, basically, mm. was something that I wasn't particularly aware of, not being a massive follower of uh, Italian football, but um, yeah. He, Heavy smoker came late to the game. A few questionable remarks in his past, which oh, apparently yeah. uh, he was asked about during his job interview, but uh, he obviously provided a good enough response for it not to be deemed uh, a major issue. But yeah, it's it's another another crazy day in the life of Chelsea Football Club. It's certainly right, a, but a, a fun club. There was a lot of enthusiasm around these arrivals and, and potentially yeah. others. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Okay, what, Jorginho, you're a massive fan, James. What's he going to bring to Chelsea? Well, brains, um, I think. Um, someone who can basically come in and, and show everyone, uh, his new teammates, how to play Sarri's brand of football. Uh, I think that's really important because um, there's not long to go until the start of the season. Remember, Chelsea are in the community shield. Um, and sadly, he's got a very sophisticated um, system, mm. which is completely different from the one that Antonio Conte um, has, has implemented there for the last two years. Um, but yeah, Different a, how? Different in that it's proactive rather than than reactive. Um, different system as well. We're going away from that um, that three man defence um, that kind of changed the game in the Premier League. Um, had a big influence on how England played at this World Cup. Mm. I would uh, I would wager as well. Um, yeah, I think we'll see them play four three three or or four three one two, um, and change to a game a team that looks to to dominate the opposition. Um, 
with the ball um, and look to play as as much as the in the opposition's half as as possible. And yeah, Jorginho is someone who can dictate the tempo. Um, yeah, give a passing game to to this Chelsea side. Um, so yeah, I think uh, patience is needed because, as I said, time is of the essence now, and this process will take a while to really set in. Took a while in Naples, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I mean, Diego Maradona famously came out after his, I think, first couple of games and said, I like Sarri, but Napoli are going to go nowhere with him. Uh, they'll probably finish in mid-table. And, you know, by Christmas, they were winter champions. Um, so, so yeah, I think this is very exciting. And again, I think for the Premier League as a whole, which has benefited so much from the likes of Conte, Guardiola, Klopp, uh, Pochettino, all these people come in. Yeah, they're going to be enriched again. Uh, maybe some of those English players, Loftus Cheek coming back, something like that. So exciting. All right. And of course, if you want to know more about the whole Sarri mentality and Jorginho, you mm. should probably have a listen to the fabulous interview that James did with uh, Nate Chalabar, yeah. who, who came by uh, totally and, and, and uh, spent uh, a very informative hour just kind of revealing what it was like playing uh, with them down in Naples. And that's available, you know. On the Golazzo stream. Great. Oh, is Eden Hazard going? He is, isn't he, Matt? Uh, well, extraordinary <laughs> comments from him after mm. the third, fourth place playoff. To come out with it at that time seemed um, seemed uh, sort of disrespectful to his Belgium teammates, I thought. Never mind think? his um, his Chelsea ones. But uh, he likes toying with the press a bit, um, does Edin. But I think he, he was pretty unequivocal, actually, the quotes that he said. Uh, he's got two years left on his contract. So Chelsea, if they are going to sell him, they need to do it this summer rather than let him... Sounds like he's, he's heading off. Yeah. <laughs> Unless Dries Mertens told him what, how great it is to work on the Maritza Sadi. You know? Maybe, yeah. maybe. It does, it does feel like this World Cup might mark a bit of a departure point in terms of the kind of hierarchy of the great footballers in that... Messi didn't have a great tournament. Ronaldo went home earlier than he would have wanted to. And we had all these new stars. Mbappe, most obviously. Hazard had a great tournament. Ronaldo's now the Iranian guy, who, did the guy who, did, who tried yeah. to do the um, acrobatic throwing. Mm. Um, so Pickford. clearly someone needs to replace Ronaldo. Yeah. Neymar's stock has fallen at PSG at the same time that Mbappe's has risen. Um, so I think, the, I think we're looking at an interesting, well, a more interesting Ballon d'Or Harry voting Maguire. process. Harry yeah. Maguire probably yeah. up there, there or thereabouts. Well, that's one of the many interesting questions that we'll be following when the football comes back, not too long from now, in three or four weeks' time. It's been a great month. One thing, actually, before we leave you, listener, is we, we, we should say big credit to Dmitry Komarov, a Sasha. Dmitry Komarov, who is a Ukrainian chess grandmaster, but more importantly, is the man who said this. Yes, rook d1, rook d8, Hikaru Nakamura, rook d8, rook g5, check. Rook G4, unbelievable, unbelievable this. Maybe draw coming. Hikaru Nakamura missed his opening. That's right. Idea. It was Dimitri G5. all along. Many people have actually spotted this. <laughs> Many people spotted this on, on, on Twitter, but for those of you who were still wondering, that's where that came from. Good. No odds from Paddy Power today, of course, and which means that we, we come here to the end of... Uh, What's been the first year of the Totally Football Show? Many thanks to everybody who's been involved uh, throughout the the last however many uh, months and to all our sponsors who've, of course, helped keep the podcast free, to The Observer, The New York Times, Football 365 and Gimlet for all your kind reviews and Jazz FM for giving us this this home. Most of all, though, thank you, listener, for being uh, here with us. We will return 
uh, start of August, uh, before the new Premier League season gets underway, just to preview things, work out who's gone where, all that kind of thing. And there will be a couple of things dropping in your podcast feed uh, over the summer in the meantime. But, of course, you can keep up to date with all our news and info at The Totally Show, where you can also find out the details of our upcoming live shows, Tom, in in Manchester and London. Uh, That, though, is it. Uh, for this final edition of Totally at the World Cup. Many thanks for being with us, Matt. And thank you, James. And Tom. Thank you, James. And James. Pleasure. And Sasha. Thank you, James. Listeners, will be back soon enough. Have yourselves a great time in the meanwhile. For now, from all of us here, it's... The Sudania. Unbelievable, unbelievable. It's like this mad riddle that no-one knows what it is, right? England win! England win! Stronger, and football is coming home. <laughs> coming home. How does it feel to be French right now, mon ami? <laughs> oh, guys, no! Tokyo tack it, if you will. Yeah, I'll get my coat. No one's got a clue. Sasha, arguably the poorest Russian team in the history of Russian football, yes? To be honest, it is a disaster of unimaginable proportions. Oh, my mind boggles. Um, Russia look absolutely incompetent now in all areas of play. It is absolutely appalling.